Welcome back, hockey fans, and welcome to the PhD Podcast. My name is Mitch. I'll be taking you along this little journey we call local hockey. You can find me on Twitter at PhD underscore Mitch. You can find us at PGH Hockey Digest on Twitter, Pittsburgh Hockey Digest on Facebook. And if you continue to move along, you'll see we do have a uh, an Instagram page, but it hasn't been really a tough season to be able to get out to check out Instagram right now. So unfortunately, we're not going to be able to bring a lot of that to you this season. We're working on it, though, with our guys in and out. We're going to open up the episode today actually with a little bit of PIHL and talking uh, first week back and just things bits and pieces from my days out Uh, of course we had a couple guys out this week I was at Kirk Nevin Arena on Thursday covering the twin bill that involved the Thomas Jefferson Jaguars heading to face the Hempfield Spartans and the North Hills Indians facing off against the Greensburg-Salem Golden Lions. Let's get right into what happened in this past week. I have to reload the schedule here on the league website. If you give me a half a second here, here we go. Back on Monday, of course, the game that returned us to playing in this league. Plenty of games going on that day, so let's get from the top. Indiana defeated Norwin 9-3. Hempfield over Mars 6-5. Armstrong fell to Thomas Jefferson, 6-2. Blackhawk fell to Chartiers Valley, 5-1. Swickley Academy fell to Beaver. I'm sorry, defeated Beaver, 8-1. Ringgold defeated Burrell, 12-2. Cannon McMillan over Central Catholic in overtime, 4-3. Pine Richland over Butler, 11-1 at Frozen Pond. Franklin Regional at Moon. The Barrel Ice Complex, they defeated the, sorry, the Panthers defeated the Tigers eight to nothing. Montour defeated Shaler five one. Mount Lebanon fell to North Allegheny in overtime six to five. Freeport over South Park five three. Kiski fell to North Hills one nothing at the island. And Bishop Canavan defeated Elizabeth Ford eleven three at the Ross Straver Ice Garden. On Tuesday, less games on Tuesday, so let's talk about them. Quaker Valley defeated Westmont Hilltop 4-2 at the War Memorial. Cannon McMillan over Upper St. Clair 5-0 at Princecape. Fox Chapel over McDowell 4-1. Neshanik over Wilmington 3-1 in the Battle of Hess. West A over Meadville 5-1. Two games where looks like they were postponed on that day. Moving on to Thursday, games that I was out at. Let's talk about that in a second. Norwin defeated Blackhawk 8-2. North Catholic defeated South Park 6-5 in overtime. South Fayette over Hampton 13-5. Thomas Jefferson over Hempfield, a game that I covered 6-4. That was a 6-0 lead for Thomas Jefferson. Hempfield was able to fight back in the third. Unfortunately, it was an undefinished comeback. Indiana defeated Fox Chapel 7-3. Ringgold defeated Trinity 7 to 2 Butler over Bethel Park 3 to 2 Elizabeth Forward 10 to 4 over Central Valley Central Catholic fell to Seneca Valley 6-1 Chartiers Valley 3-1 over Quaker Valley and Greensburg Salem defeated North Hills 4-1 at Nevin Arena I was there for that one We're going to focus in a little bit on that Hempfield-Thomas Jefferson game Hempfield coming into the matchup was undefeated on the season Thomas Jefferson I believe was 4 and two on the year. Thomas Jefferson just took it to them as soon as they came through the door. Um, it was all over them. It, it made those five players look like ten 
on the rink. Uh, every time that Hemfield was to get the puck, Thomas Jefferson had three people on him. I don't know how it was possible. It was just seems like they were just bringing players out of midair. I will be actually talking for next week's uh, podcast to Mr. Krause, the head coach of the Thomas Jefferson Jaguars as of this time right now. We have a special guest a little bit later, and we'll talk about that in a bit. But Thomas Jefferson moved up from single A to double A in this past season, and they're showing every bit of being able to be the teams that deserve to be there, deserving of being in that position. And, you know, right now they're sitting in third in the Southwest Division. That's a tough Southwest Division, but they're only one point behind Baldwin. Baldwin has a game in hand, but they are only one point behind them. They're at four, sorry, they are 4 1 0 oh, 1 on the season, are those Thomas Jefferson Jaguars. Uh, South Fayette's just right behind them at 2 3 0 oh, 2. That division's going to be figuring to start to play each other a little bit more as we move along this season and see who actually uh, is going to be the winner of that one. Uh, let's look at that schedule real fast. West A, Baldwin, uh, the leading right now. They have to play each other at some point, guys. So that's something that we uh, are going to have to pay attention to when it comes to those standings. Thomas Jefferson can slide in if they really felt like it. And when we're looking at that West A, Baldwin matchup, they play each other twice, February 22nd and March 8th coming up this season. Thomas Jefferson plays at the island against West A on January 25th. They've already defeated Thomas Jefferson overtime for three this season. Big lineup there for that one. But Hempfield, on the other hand, were undefeated going into this season, into this game, and... They just basically had it handed to them the entire game. It was a strange dynamic. You, you watched the Hemfield team come out. They were averaging 5.8 goals per game coming into this one. They were held the scoreless through two and then just went on a rampage. Well, good old-fashioned rampage. Four straight goals to bring them right back in, but unfortunately it took a penalty at the end of the game and all the momentum went right back to Thomas Jefferson, so... Unfortunately, you look at that, you think about it for a second. Hemfield was able to bounce back, but they put themselves in such a hole they weren't able to get there. And once they had an opportunity to fight back, they just continued to dig that hole. So you look to see the Hemfield Spartans bounce back in the next couple games. And let me pull up their schedule and see what they have coming up. They are 5-1, and one, 10 points, tied with Franklin Regional for the lead in that division. Uh, Franklin Regional has... One more game play. They're five and two right now. Hempfield coming up. Let's load that schedule. It is Moon on Monday, and then they don't play again until Plum on the following Thursday. So they'll have ten days off. They of course have to head to Barrel to play Moon on Monday. So that's a big matchup for the Spartans to bounce back after that loss to Thomas Jefferson. It's a tough loss too. It's Hard to say. You came into the game five-game win streak, and you beat some pretty good teams in that stretch. So, Hemfield will bounce back. I am assured that that's going to be the case with them. They're just a really good squad this season, and up and down. No, all the goals Thomas Jefferson scored were phenomenal goals. It wasn't anything like they were bad goals, bad bounces. TJ just had them right out of the gate and never took their foot off the gas until the second cut. So, we'll go from there. Then I had the uh, privilege of covering Greensburg, Salem, and the North Hills Indians. 
North Hills four and two coming in. Sorry, yeah, four and two coming into this one. Greensburg Salem four and two also. So a battle of teams sitting in second interdivision and waiting to see right behind really good teams. So another bounce back season of two very young teams that have built upon their sophomore and freshman classes over the last two years. So you look at a Greensburg-Salem class, and <laughs> they look phenomenal. I have been excited to see, get a chance to see how this team has grown from a 2-14 and 14 team a couple seasons ago to what they are now. And at 5-2, and two, sitting pretty in second place, Norwin's four points behind with the same amount of games played. Indiana's two points ahead with one less game played. So... Greensburg-Salem sitting pretty for that possible playoff spot if they continue to play like they are. There's a possibility of that being in the running for the Greensburg-Salem Golden Lions. Um, Owen Tutich has played very well. He had a beautiful breakaway goal. Let me talk about this breakaway goal. Came in inside, outside, on the fly, backhand right through the five hole. Was able to put it through Manfred. And that was your, your, your basically your breakaway game there. Uh, he had an empty netter late in the game. Two goals for Tudich on that one. Uh, you look at North Hills was in it. They were fighting, 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 but costly little mistakes. It was a uh, it was a chippy little game between the two teams, but they were able to uh, keep it clean for the most part, and we didn't have many major issues with that one. Uh, you look at that, and there's an build for North Hills. You know, they were another young team last year. Now they're bringing it up again another year. And I actually was just talking to your, our guest in a little bit, and I'll explain that in a second, about North Hills and these teams that have developed through the last couple of years. And you're seeing the changing of what teams are powerful in, in each conference and which teams are falling back in each conference. Um, it's one of those things that you see every four years. I, I say high school hockey is cyclical for a reason. And that's because it is. You talk about these teams bringing in freshman classes and having the ability to grow the game within their own bounds, which is a beautiful thing if you think about it, especially it's something that you're not really given a lot of. And one team that's done that, and I'll actually introduce our guest for the day for this interview segment, was the Chartiers Valley Colts. And that is, of course, coached by Paul Benetti, a former coach of Team Pittsburgh. And he brought in a little bit of a uh, detail to me last year. He's talking about how young his team was and how, you know, it's going to be a year or two before they're ready and how they only had three seniors. Well, he explained to me in this one, they only have three seniors again. I'll, I'll let him talk about it a little bit. Here is Paul Benetti, head coach of the Chartiers Valley Colts. All right, joining us now, Chartiers Valley head coach, Paul Benetti. How, Paul, how's the season going so far? How are you doing, my man? Uh, it's good to hear from you, Mitch. It's been a crazy season this year so far, for sure. And uh, no, we're having a pretty good year um, so far, and uh, it's been fun. Yeah, we talk a couple times. Uh, you, we, actually, last year, whenever I came down to uh, broadcast one of the games down in Mount Lebanon, uh, we were talking pre previous to the game, and you just had a young. You had a young team last year. You were wondering, you know how it was going to meld and how it was going to build. And <laughs> looks like that, uh, that questions have been answered at least in the first section and now into the second half of the season. What are you seeing yeah, from your squad? Uh, well, I, I think just what you said is, is correct. We only had a few seniors uh, last year, and now this year we have 10. 
so uh, a lot of the younger guys are now matured and uh, are, are seniors and I think they're uh, playing a lot better than they had been in the past. You know, we are a team that really doesn't have a lot of uh, amateur players on it. So all the teams in our division, and I think all the teams that are the better teams in Class A have AAA players on their team, and we don't have any AAA players. And I think two-thirds of my team just plays for high school. So, you know, this time of them coming up through high school is very important to get them to grow, progress, and get involved with the program. And uh, so that's what we try to do. And I think we're seeing that all come to fruition so far this year. We still play a lot of teams that, you know, if you look at us uh, skating up and down the ice, you might say, hey, that team appears to be more talented. But, uh, you know, we don't care. We go out and scrap and and so far so good. Fortunately, we have good goaltending and that keeps us in every game. Uh, And then we've this year we've gotten more timely scoring. I'd say secondary scoring. Last night's a prime example. We scored three goals, and there was a goal off of three different lines. So in the past, we we didn't really have that. We might have a top line that did a lot of our scoring and then kind of didn't get a lot of scoring down through the lineup. And this year, we're doing a little better in that respect. So the big thing you're bringing up is that the identity of that team is pretty apparent at this point. Yeah, I'd say so. The good part is a lot of these these kids i coached them at jv too uh one year stupidly i coached both teams you know the jv <laughs> and the varsity uh that was a that was a lot of a lot of coaching that year but uh so a lot of them have known me for a long time and i think for the freshmen that we have this year you know when they come in and they first start practicing with us uh i can be a little uh, i don't want to say harsh but demanding mm-hmm. and some kids aren't really used to that and so I think as you get going when, in the program and you kind of get understanding, yeah, I need to do this and coach expects this out of me, uh, I think things go a lot more smoothly. And we've got guys now who've played with me for three or four years. And so I think you're seeing a lot of that uh, cohesiveness um, that we may not have had in the past. Talk about how hard it is in this era. I call it an era now. I think we're starting to slide into that of – not knowing that you're going to be able to practice tomorrow or not knowing, you know, how hard is it for you to prepare these, these teams when you don't know if you're going to even have a game the next day? Yeah, that's been a challenge, you know, and I think it's more of a challenge for the kids probably, you know, cause uh, they get pumped up when they're, when they know there's going to be a game and we've had games canceled and next week we were supposed to have two games. They're both, postponed or canceled i'm not even sure they haven't rescheduled them yet you know um and then our rink has been a little more strict than most rinks uh in the in western pennsylvania so we had to get ice outside uh at shenley park we got ice and then we had to practice we we got ice at ice castle we you know we play in mount lebanon um so even that, you know, moving our days of our practice around, the times of our practice around has been challenging. But, you know, the kids, are they're, they're flexible when it comes to that for the most part. And I think they're dealing with it fairly well. And uh, we try not to really worry about that because when we get on the ice, it's all about hockey. And that's really uh, what we're focused on. Awesome. Talk about the, uh, the season thus far. And 
some of the the um, issues maybe that you you know logistically with this season and how you've been able to adapt to this environment. Yeah, I mean, we did have at least one game where I think we were called maybe a day or two before the game and said, "Hey, can you play Monday night?" <laughs> and we said, "Okay, we'll we'll play." And so you don't really get to prepare sometimes for uh, the teams, you know, in advance. Like I like to do a lot of pre-scouting and things like that. So that time gets cut down a little bit perhaps, but you know, it, it's fine. These guys, they're, they're ready to play anytime. And uh, we've, we've kind of gotten past that and just got down to the business of playing hockey. So do you, and now not knowing what's going to happen next week, how do you fill that in? Do you have additional, is there additional practices in the week? Or I'm just trying to, you know, justify like that little extra time now that you've had a little bit of time off. Is there yeah, a little extra I mean, time? I wouldn't be surprised if we get a game scheduled next week. Um, because I think what the league is doing is if one, t- say there's a matchup between two teams, if one of those teams has some COVID issues or something, then they'll try to take the team that is that okay yeah. yeah, and and match up with another team. So the fact that we don't have a game scheduled doesn't mean we won't be playing next week. And that's how I'm looking at it. And that's kind of how I have the, the, the players approaching it as well. You know, we have the same practice time scheduled and we may play Monday night. We may play Thursday night. We may play both. I don't know. We'll find out. What's the outlook for the Chartiers Valley program on the rest of this season? Uh, I think we're going to keep busting our butts, um, and I think we're going to be challenging for anybody to play against. Uh, I I think that's kind of the the culture that we have now is that we're going to give you a tough game. And even at the JV level, I think the JV team's doing well. So if you're talking about an organization as a whole, uh, we're, we're doing well this year. And we're short on numbers. We're not uh, a very deep organization. You know, we scrap very hard to get uh, to maintain our JV team and uh, our varsity team. And so with a big class like we have this year of seniors, which 10 for us is massive, you know, for North Allegheny or Peters or something like that, that might not be that big of a deal. But for us, that's huge. So we need that. We need to continue to have success. So the younger players who might be in our school district but not playing for the school uh see the success and say hey i wouldn't mind playing for this team you know so that's another additional pressure that i feel sometimes uh to to win games is to ensure the future of the program so if you're talking about the program as a whole i think that's what we're we're dealing with but our team uh, is just going to keep going, and, and you know it's cliche to say one game at a time, but that's really what we're looking at right now because our division is a meat grinder, Mitch. I'm mm-hmm. telling you, it's 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 tough. This team we played last night, Quaker Valley. I mean, they were bigger than us, faster than us. Uh, their their record doesn't show it, but that's a good team. You know, South Park's always good, and then North Hills, I think, is one of the best teams in the league. So, um, you know, it's. Those are tough teams, and we just need to maintain our distance ahead of those teams like we're doing right now. And so that's what we're looking at for the rest of the season is just trying to keep our spot. We want to finish in first and then see what happens uh, when the playoffs come. 
Yeah, you were talking. That bases off of what we were talking about, uh, y the youth movement and growing and maturing as you go through your four years. And that's where those three teams you just named are at right now. Uh, South Park, the uh, sorry, South Park, Quaker Valley, and you know those teams are now in a position where they're going in the next couple of years they're going to be really good teams. Quaker Valley, I think, what they have nine freshmen on the team. Yeah, so it, they're, they they seemed young. So it, it's something that, that they're going to just continue. North Hills, I saw them last night. I agree with you on what you were saying. All right, Paul, I appreciate you coming on with us today. Um, it's always a pleasure talking to you, and uh, it's good to hear from you again. <laughs> Glad to see everything's working out for you guys out there. Um, yeah, so far so good. I appreciate you having me on there, Mitch. Thank you. No problem. Once again, that is Paul Benetti, head coach of the Chartiers Valley Colts. I am Brian Mitchell. This is the PhD Podcast. We will be right back. Of course, Paul Benetti, one of the good guys in the PIHL. And, you know, I hear from a lot of coaches. You know, I want to thank everybody out there for listening. I, I have gone to the rink several times and, like, I listen to the podcast, love it, love to come on, love to do things like that. And, you know, trying to give the ability to have those interviews and, you know, with not being able to actually meet them at the rink and people being rushed around, uh, it's easier to do it over the phone. So I appreciate Paul coming on and talking with us about his, uh, you know, his team this season and how well they've played. And, you know, you like to see those good stories coming up. And, like, next week I'm setting up an interview with two coaches. Um, hopefully they got they got I just realized they have a busy week, but I'm trying to get Robert Moore's head coach, Derek Schooley on the show and the head coach of the Thomas Jefferson Jaguars. That is Bill Krause. I'm hoping that coach Krause will come on and talk with me this uh, upcoming week for next week's podcast. So it'd be interesting to see how that plays out. Let's talk a little bit about the statistics that are going on in a PIHL and PIHL website changed a little bit this season, so I'm going to change a little bit about this season. And I usually do the stats per the classes. I have the stats throughout the classes. And I'm just going to eliminate a couple in here because of how well they played out. Let me actually, let me not do that because <laughs> Ringgold has an offensive juggernaut. Not, that's unfair to the rest of the classes. So let's, let's talk about Class AAA right now. Your top scorers in Class AAA are Connor Chi, who has 15 points. Of course, he's leading the way big time. Uh, Pine Richland's Alex Erlane has 11 points on the year. Luke Washabaugh from North Allegheny has 10 points, 5-5 five and five on the year. Trey Gallo of North Allegheny, last year's favorite freshman of mine. Uh, he was a good kid to uh, watch grow as the season progresses, 10 points. And John Camp, Jr., <laughs> we all talk about Johnny Camp and the way he came out of the gate the last two seasons for Peters Township. Doing it again in five games, he has 10 points. So goaltending-wise, we are looking at a juggernaut on the score sheet. And based off of our save percentage rankings right now, minimum three games played. We'll say three games. So you have to play at least 180 minutes. I'm sorry, 147, I believe, is the number. I can't remember the exact number, but <laughs> it's in there. 154, I think, is what it is. Josh Bailey of North Allegheny leading the way, 145 save percent. I mean, sorry, a 934 save percentage, five and zero on the season. Mario Iafrate, five and one on the season, and a 924 save percentage in second. Brad Weaver of Mount Lebanon has did not qualify this time. We'll move down. Zach Ott of Bethel Park, two and zero on two and two on the season, an 890 save percentage, 
and Devin Dovichal of Cathedral Prep. One and three on the year with an 890. Those are your top five on the year. Into double A. Let me get through this. They changed the, like I said, they changed the website around so I can get to things easier, but you can't get there from here is sometimes how it works on these things. So player stats will tell me that we are leading off with Michael Felsing once again from Montour. No surprise here. Five games played, 19 points, nine goals and 10 assists. Ethan Zemanski from South Fayette, 12 points on the season. We got a log jam of 12 points. So we'll just say the names. Maddox Rierick of Armstrong, Mitch Hurst of Hampton, Ethan Varley of Hampton, Chase Williams of Franklin Regional, Nicholas Bruno of Hempfield, Nate Lochner of Penn Trafford, and Hunter Fairman of TJ, all in that tied for second with 12 points. And you have a laundry list going down to 11. So congratulations to all of you guys for making it easier on me this week. We'll eventually see a little bit of a breakout on that. Goaltending stats should be a surprise. Should be no surprise here. Eddie Nowicki leading the way, 5-0, 961 save percentage. Jordan McCurdy only played a period so far for Meadville, but Sam Coppola has had the the uh, lion's share up there. And at 2-4 and four on the season at a 907 save percentage, Anthony Reinholdt for Montour, a 902 save percentage, and Josh Ferry of West, West Allegheny, a 902 save percentage, but a 6-0 and record on the year. Uh, honorable mention, the Vinny Amatucci. It's been a rough year for Mount Lebanon. I'm mean, so sorry for Grit, uh, for Latrobe, but he is an 899 save percentage on the year. Moving into single A. Let me see if that. Nope, you can't get there from here once again. Let's go back and find it. Class. Oh. Drop downs. There we go. Class A. Your stats look like this. Zach Eisenhower leading the tied with Owen Tutich now, that uh, big Southwest division starting the showdown. Indiana and uh, Greensburg Salem, Greensburg Salem and uh, Indiana each have a representative. Eisenhower and Tutich, ten goals, eight assists apiece. Greg Kramer of Chartiers Valley, seventeen points. Stephen Rayberg of Kiskey and Colin Kruth of the Greensburg Salem Golden Lions. The top five, of course, uh, Alex Thomas of Looks like that is Norwin, 13 points. The freshman sensation out of center ice right now, leading the way for those Knights in net. Save percentage-wise, it is Logan Marnick leading the way from Chartiers Valley, 964 save percentage, 5-0-1 on the season. Tyler Lang eligible. Freeport's Tyler Lang, 4-0 on the season, 9-15 save percentage. Another team bouncing back this season, Freeport. Connor Bridges of North, uh, North Catholic, 3-0 on the year, a 9-0-6 save percentage. Andrew Steed of Greensburg-Salem didn't get the start the other night, but uh, has an 8-98 on the season, 4-0. And, and Ian Amaranto. Has a 1-3 record with an 8.94 save percentage for Westmont Hilltop on the season. I think I figured out how to work this website finally, guys. So let's move along a little quicker this time. 
Come on, guys. There we go. Boulanger of Ringgold. You just name five players on Ringgold, and I will tell you where they stand in the rankings. Nathan Boulanger, 29 points. Kenneth Catawaller, 26 points. Zachary Kalinowski, 23 points. Ethan Saylor, 23 points. Nicholas Nagy, 20 points. And, of course, Elizabeth Forwards, Zach Motol is just right behind them with Hunter Suarez, and they both have 19 points on this season. Ringgold, just an absolute dynamo in the offensive stats this season. When we're looking at save percentages, it looks like we are qualifying. Riley Meskowski from the Shannock, 5-2 on the season, a 924. Alex Mitchell of Connellsville, 2-3 on the season with a 916. Adam Sarakowski, Bishop Canavan, a 911, 5-1-1 for those Bishop Canavan. Another team building off of a good season last season, and Austin Schuller. Doesn't qualify, so it takes it on to Jerry Meese. Buddy Meese, as they want me to call him. They called him the trailer down there at Ringgold. 9-0 on the season and 8.83 save percentage. The offense is big for those Ringgold Rams, so you can see that they're winning a lot of big games with those numbers. Um, a sub-900 save percentage for their goaltenders. Nothing to shake a stick at, though, at a 9-0 record, so we'll go from there. We're going to move along to Robert Morris here in a second. There we go, the number 17 Robert Morris Colonials men's squad was off this past weekend. Uh, they, of course, uh, Canisius was had to shut down for a COVID protocol, so they weren't able to actually play that series this weekend. They will have two games this week. Their first game is against Mercyhurst on Tuesday at 5.05 in Erie, and then they come back and play on Saturday. Sorry, they, they stay on the road. They play on at Rochester on Saturday, so... Robert Morris and the RIT Tigers will face off this coming weekend. Of course, this past year, they just swept the RIT Tigers on the second and the third. Uh, they haven't faced Mercyhurst yet this season. It looks like five games on the docket for them. They will play home and homes in, in two weeks against Mercyhurst and then to close out their regular season on February 26th and 27th. So look forward to that on the schedule. We're going to talk, hopefully, with Derek Schooley next podcast. I'm going to try to set something up with him, hopefully, and get an interview so that we are, you know, talk with the coach and have him on here because Gary Heeman is awesome and everything, but uh, the coach has a lot, a lot more to do with it. So I'd like to have him on and talk with him next week concerning the Robert Morris men. But we'll move into the Robert Morris women and... Before we move into it, actually, I want to talk. I want to thank Owen Kreps and Nate Briesinger for having me on the uh, Stack the Pads podcast for the Robert Morris Colonial Sports Network. Um, it was an honor. I, I don't really get a lot of interview requests for myself. So to be able to talk hockey with somebody that wants to talk hockey with me and get my opinion on things is new to me. And I had a lot of fun with it. If you get a chance, go out and check it out on Colonial Sports Network. Um, I was on there this past week. So, well, we talked a lot about stuff, and I, I mentioned a couple things about the Robert Morris women's team that I was like, oh, I'm going to get yelled at for these. And, you know, it's hard to say that it's called an identity crisis. It's just changing your own what this team is. I, I, it's not a crisis. You just don't know what your identity is at this point, and the Robert Morris women are in that position. Um, the 
graduation of J.C. Gabbard has put a question mark on the last six years of this team having an offensive dynamo on the squad. Somebody you can always turn to, somebody you can always look at. Lexi Templeman's awesome, and you got a lot of and defensively. Uh, Emily Curlett's awesome, but you could always man up on them. In the you know, It just continues to build in, build in, build. Um, I think we saw that on Saturday, Friday, and a little bit Saturday, more on Saturday, whenever they were able to pull off the come-from-behind victory over Mercyhurst. Um, of course, you look at Friday night, they were up in that contest and then ended up t- losing it in an over, in, sorry, not tying it, <laughs> they lost the lead late and then tied the game on Friday. And they moved into Saturday and they did something that was a little uncharacteristic of the Robert Morris Colonials and that was they started a goaltender back-to-back and if you think about the last couple of years, Bailey and Jessica Dodds, and then Lauren Bailey and Elijah Milne-Price. And then you look at, you know, Ariel DeSmet coming in with Lauren Bailey. And you're running these tandems. And, of course, Reagan Kirk coming in now. So you're running a tandem every every year. It's easy to start one on Friday and one on Saturday, unfortunately, for the Robert Morris Colonial. But you didn't get to see those back-to-back take it reins until later in the season. Um, oh... <laughs> By calendar, it's later in the season, but by theory, it's still early in the season. If you consider how this team has melded and grown, and they, they were able to start Reg and Kirk back-to-back this past weekend, and it paid off for them because I, I believe the sophomore played one of the better games she's played in a Robert Morris uniform, and I spoke with her after the game over the phone, and she was in high spirits. She thought it was a, uh, a good opportunity to get points out of the season, and Anytime you have that opportunity to play, you should be. Uh, let me let me get that actual quote for you, because <laughs> I don't want to misquote somebody. After the tie on Friday night, remembering the tough loss that last year against the finals, we wanted to help my team and get the win. I thought the girls played great in front of me and made some key blocks. Um, and the ability to have, you know, that ability to play back to back and know your opponent is a good thing. You came out of a, a weekend where you lost to Penn State, and Penn State, hats off to them, I said it a million times, great team this season. They're going to be good, and we're in a phase where it's going to be an in-between year for some of these squads. Mercyhurst is in the same boat. So the take a 1-0-1 season away from Robert, a weekend away from Robert Morris is a good thing. And they were able to clear up what they wanted. They played with poise and urgency like they, the last weekend. and So it was good for the squad to go out and have this type of a game, have this type of a series against Mercyhurst right back on the horse and was able to take three points out of the possible four on the weekend against a rival that they will see a little bit later on another split weekend. But at that time, you look at the possibility what's going on with the standings, and, you know, every point's going to matter more now. So it's huge for them to take these points where they can. Uh, let me see what they've got. They're at Syracuse this upcoming weekend, um, and that's going to be a huge two points. Um, let me see what the CHA standings look like. CHA, try to load up their website. The CHA, College Hockey America, of course, is the 
No, 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 not that one. Here we go. Whoa, that's not good either. I don't need 17-18. I know what that one was. So far, Penn State's leading the way with 13 points. Robert Morrison second with 11 points. Marcy Harris is now four points behind him. Remember, top two teams get a bye in the CHA postseason, so it's huge to get this this weekend coming up. Syracuse is at two and two and one, five points on the year for the the Orange. So that puts them in that four spot. So they're playing right above Lindenwood, who would have the ability to you know jump them and get the home game. And I use hair quotes there because that's just the home team's prerogatives on the ice wherever they end up playing this tournament, whether it's in the Harbor Center or a different neutral location where they can actually play. Uh, we'll find out as we continue to move along with this because I don't even know what's going on with that. I, you know, I, I'm trying to make plans for these tournaments, and I don't even know where I'm going to end up going. But uh, let's stay the statistics from the tor from this regular season right now. And let's see, individual offensive stats. That's not from this year. It's an archived... Well, anyway, I'm going to move along and just talk about it later because that's just stats. I'm not looking at the right website for that. But Robert Morris started to look a lot better towards the second half of that game on Saturday. And a lot of it had to do with melding and having to face adversity and step up and prove who's what. They lost Lexi Templeton to a questionable call in the second period. So she left the game early and was unable to you know, continue for the squad, and so they had to step up, and they did so in a big way, and that overtime goal for Fiala, you get the bounces, the bounces get you sometimes, and they got the bounces on that one. You got to think, take away from that is that at the end of the day, those are the type of things, I was, we were talking post-game about how you want to see players step up and, you know, get the bounces. You know, sometimes, like I said, bounces come to you. Sometimes the bounces go away from you. Uh, the big thing to take away from that is the bounces started to come back towards Robert Morris in the latter half of that game, and the team started playing well. And I touched on a point earlier that maybe was a little bit rough around the edges, but I want to elaborate a little bit more on that right now. And that is the Robert Morris Colonial Women's Squad and scoring. And make no mistake, this team can score goals. This team has the ability to score goals. Um, you are starting to see the next echelon of Robert Morris, and there was a couple discussions had during the game. We were talking about this isn't that team anymore, and teams are starting, the players are starting to come into their own. And you're seeing that a lot, especially on that elevation for freshman to sophomore year. Um, last year's freshman, this year's sophomores, Joel Fiala, been phenomenal in that 3C uh, position for Robert Morris. Uh, Maggie Burbage and Mara Wagner have looked equally as phenomenal moving up along the ranks for the Colonials on the wing and at center. Um, <laughs> Leah Marino has been one of the more visible players this season after playing little in her first two seasons. Uh so you look at that, and that's the type of build you like to see. But you got to remember, players like Natalie Marcuse played on the fourth line her first season here. So you grow into what you're doing with this squad. And I won't even mention the back end of this whole thing. Allie Hebert and 
Joel, sorry, not Joel Fiala. Anna Fairman. Anna Fairman has looked like a different player from year one to year two. She looks like a top four defenseman. She looks phenomenal out there, comfortable. Last year, a little bit of here and there started to bring it on towards the end. Completely different player. Has been that great partner for Emily Curlett this year so far. And smart decision-making, all that. You put that all together, that's what you want to see out of a second year of players. And we talked a little bit about that with the postgame. One player that has stuck in my head that showed a lot more than I've seen out of her in a couple weeks, I mean, sorry, in the last year, because I can't say a couple weeks because I don't know how the sample size looks on that, was Kylie Hanslick. Transferred last season, had that phenomenal Sports Center top 10 style goal against, you know, in that first game against Colgate, uh, the Battle of the Berg up at 66, and then she scored a lot. She had a like, good season, but it was she's showing flashes of skill that I think everybody saw in her. She's about to put it all together and break out on it. Like she is a very skilled, very athletic player, and she demands a lot of respect in the open ice. Uh, uh, she did at least several moves that, you know, you just shook your head and wondered why she's not playing top six minutes, and she's she's getting closer to that role for this team, and that's one thing you're going to notice with this team is they're getting closer to that point where they can be starting to talk about top ten, contention, things like that. They're not there yet, but they're definitely close coming into it. Um, one thing that I've been worried about and is where is that senior class coming from? You know, what are they doing offensively on the squad? And they're just leading by example, which is a good thing. Um, I've seen nothing but great things out of Angelica Diffendahl. I've seen phenomenal stuff out of Lexi Templeman, once again, playing very well this season. So, I mean, other than, you know, that questionable call that took her out of the Mercyhurst game, the team has stepped up in, in place of their captain. Um, Emily Harley has been nothing but a rock-solid defenseman that you want to have out there. So, and Emily Curlett. Now, we talked a little bit on the other Stack the Pads podcast about Emily Curlett. It's hard to go from the dynamic of being of that next echelon of a J.C. Gebhard to being the player on the team. Make no mistake, I'll say it, Emily Curlett is the player on that team if you need somebody to step up. She's making good decisions, but there's a couple things that she's... I don't know if it's overthinking or not. And I'm just going to you know, just say it. It's, it's If it's the pressure or what. We saw it last year with Luke Lynch on the men's side. We don't know what happened. She still can do what she does. And Make no mistake, the style that this team plays on defense is a lot different than it was the last couple seasons. Every defenseman is involved, pinching, coming down to the circle, is cycling low. They can all skate. They can all play well. Maybe it's a styles clashing. Maybe it's, I don't, I'm not sure what it is, but I feel like there's something that's holding her back, and I, I'm, I don't know what it is. 
she's playing well, but there's a next level to her game that I've seen before, and I'm wondering if we're going to see it again this season. Uh, we will. I will I'm not wondering. I know we will, but it'll be interesting to see how that uh, functions going forward. So uh, with that being said, I sat down this last week. We're going to switch gears here. I, I sat down last week with uh, Ellie Markovsky over the phone, and we had a discussion about her season thus far and moving on from to Robert Morris. So I hope you enjoy it. Uh, I'm going to play it now for you. All right, I'm here with Ellie Markovsky. She's a winger for the Robert Morris Colonial Women's Squad. Ellie, how are you doing this evening? I'm good. How are you? I'm doing all right. Um, so I guess I'll just lead with it. How has the first couple, I, I, I would say the first couple weeks at Robert Morris, because it seems like weeks, but it's actually been a semester and a half at this point. How has it been treating you so far? Uh, pretty good so far. Hockey's been going well, and um, so has school, so it's been pretty good. All right, you're moving along in hockey right now. Uh, we'll talk on the hockey side. It seems like it's been a pretty easy fit for you at Robert Morris so far. You seem like you have uh, elevated to the level of the collegiate uh, hockey very easily. What parts of your game have you seen that have excelled at this level? Um, I would definitely say since coming to college, I think – my speed and just overall intensity on the ice has been upped a bit. And I think that has given me an advantage during games and in practice, just getting on top of pucks and breaking up plays and stuff like that and um, getting plays going in the offensive zone as well. Speaking of the offensive zone, there's one thing I've noticed about your game is you're not afraid to go to the front of the net into those dirty areas and play. Um, <laughs> have you found that especially harder at the collegiate level than you have in the past, or is that something just has come natural to you? Um, I definitely think it's a bit more of a challenge at this level just because people are bigger, they're more physical and more um, willing to give body contact wherever on the ice, but especially in front of the net when there's um, – offense or if you're in the defensive zone either way what parts of the collegiate game have you uh do you feel like you need still a little bit more adjustment on that you're it's maybe a work in progress at this point um yeah there's definitely a lot of things i think um system wise you can always learn more for just running plays off the face off whether it's on the face off or penalty kill, power play, or whatever it may be. Um, so I could definitely improve on that and just overall being up to the, um, I guess, skill level of the game that's required at this level. So I'm always working on stick handling, shooting, keeping my head up and making plays when there's a lot of traffic in, in front of the net or in the corner, wherever, in the offensive or the defensive zone. Okay. Um you're from Mount Lebanon originally. You went yes. left to go to, to up to, to Naha, and then you came back for Robert Morris. Did you get to spend a lot of time watching the Robert Morris program growing up at this point, or was it something that you had in the back of your head whenever you were looking for places? Um, It was actually, when I was younger, when I was here more, I actually did go to quite a few games, but um, it was more of in the back of my head when I was looking for places to go for college just because it was so close to home. But um, now that I'm here and in the past few years since I've been getting older, it's definitely 
better for me, I think, to be closer to home. So I really enjoy it. So in the last couple of months, it's it's been a little bit tougher out there with uh, you know quarantine going on and you know the COVID situations. Has that been a little yeah. bit tougher to start out your collegiate career? Is that something with the practices and the extra special uh, attention that's needed to be taken to uh, you know sanitation and everything around the rink? Yeah, I mean it's definitely something to adjust to, but I think right off the bat we have all been doing a great job coaches staff players everyone has been doing a great job at just making sure we're doing what we need to do to be ready to play and be eligible to play every day so i it's been going pretty well definitely a minor setback but nothing we couldn't handle all right well ellie i want to thank you for coming on today and um all right that was ellie markowski i'm brian mitchell this is the pittsburgh hockey digest podcast Of course, I want to thank Ellie for coming on and talking a little hockey with us here at Pittsburgh Hockey Digest. Of course, you've seen her uh, featured on our site before when she played for the Pensley. She's a Mount Lebanon native, so it's been nice to be at home for her. Uh, That was recorded earlier in the week. I've had a phenomenally rough week, ladies and gentlemen. I apologize about that. But it was good to get back out in the rink and enjoy a little bit of everybody's company out there. I thank everybody for that's come up and said hello, and um, everybody that's reached out said they understand. You know, situations are what they are right now with us being out and covering. So, I'm just glad to be back and giving you guys the four one one on what's going on in Western Pennsylvania right now when it comes to amateur hockey. And I hope you just continue to join in and enjoy what we're bringing to the table. I haven't decided next week's coverage yet for high school, so I will. Seed that to somebody else. Of course, Robert Moore's men and women are off this week. Or sorry, on the road this weekend and this week. So, me, I'm going away for the weekend. Um, I got a lot of work going on at, at my own day job, so I'm going to try to get a little bit of rest and a little R&R. You know, it's a little bit harder to understand, but I have kept very busy over these last couple of months, and it doesn't seem like anything has really stopped for me. I've got a podcast recording for Lernerville tomorrow. I probably will be out on Tuesday. Don't know where yet. And then I have a meeting with somebody else on Thursday. So I'm going to be you know, in and out. So I want to let everybody know that I do appreciate everything you do. I want to thank Owen Kreps and Nate Brissinger for having me on the Stacking the Pads podcast. You can find that on the Colonial Sports Network. Really good talk between all of us talking about Robert Morris if you're interested in that type of uh facility and there's a couple other things going on on there uh enjoy my quotes on what we do and explaining our business strategy to them and what why we are doing what we're doing it's not about us it's about the athletes and i don't i don't like to rip anything so i'm not gonna you know bring their quotes into ours i'd like for you to go out and listen to them so please do and um so with that being said i want to thank Ellie Markovsky for coming on, talking with me. I believe that was recorded on Tuesday evening. And then the coach of the Chartiers Valley Colts, Paul Benetti, for coming on and joining me. Um, that is great. My name is Brian Mitchell. Brian Mitch is what they call me, at PhD Mitch on Twitter, at PGH Hockey Digest is all of ours. But I will see you in the rink. Take care, guys.